Section 18 of Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 5, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mary, Chapter 4, Part 1. The Royal Standard of England had not floated many hours over the towers of Framlingham Castle, before the chivalry of Suffolk mustered gallantly round Queen Mary. Sir John Sulyard, the knight of Wetherden, was the first to arrive to her assistance, and to him was given the honourable post of guarding her person. Sir Henry Bedingfeld's Suffolk tenants came in, completely armed, to the amount of a hundred and forty men, and Mary appointed their zealous master, knight marshal of her hourly increasing host. The young grandson of the imprisoned Duke of Norfolk, Lord Thomas Howard, then seventeen, appeared as one of the Queen's defenders, and there is no question, but that the adherents of his house crowded round the banner of the disinherited heir of the murdered Surrey. Meantime, Sir Henry Jerningham undertook a most dangerous commission at Yarmouth, the success of which finally turned the scale in Mary's favour. One of the reasons that prompted Mary to raise her standard in Suffolk, was the detestation in which the usurper northumberland was held on account of the tremendous cruelties he had perpetrated when ket's rebellion for the restoration of the ancient ritual was crushed in blood in the eastern counties sir william drury knight of the shire of suffolk and sir thomas cornwallis high sheriff soon joined the queen's muster at framlingham likewise sir john shelton and sir john tyrrell both zealous catholics according to fox they were afterwards bitter persecutors of the protestants an extraordinary misapprehension exists that mary's recognition as queen was chiefly enforced by the protestants of suffolk yet the leaders of the framlingham force were not only catholics but most of their descendants are so to this day her army soon amounted to thirteen thousand men all voluntarily serving without pay though the queen prudently directed that if any soldier seemed in need of aught his captain was to supply his wants as if by way of gift and charge the expense to her in an incredibly short time a populous camp rose around the ancient walls of the castle within whose mighty circle the queen herself sojourned framlingham castle was founded in the saxon heptarchy by king redwald it remained a royal demesnay till henry i granted it to earl bygod to whom the present structure is attributed. Subsequently, it was given by Edward I to his second son, Thomas of Brotherton, and from him it descended to the Howards, the dukes of which race made it their principal residence. The site of the castle is a high mound, from whence springs the source of the river Orr. This stream supplied the three moats, which are in the summer season, gaily enameled with golden irises, on the edge of the moat is reared a magnificent circle of walls and towers enclosing an area of more than an acre these walls remain to this day nearly entire they are forty feet in height and more than eight feet in thickness and are studded with thirteen square towers within the area surrounded by these bulwarks once stood the baronial residence occupied by queen mary the fragments existing are small yet the traces of the state apartments are as it were curiously mapped upon the mighty walls which once sustained them after crossing a walled causeway over the double moat and passing through the gate tower the spectator enters the spacious area to the right nearly opposite are seen several chimneys 
whose summits are hollow pillars of wreathed brickwork very elaborately wrought the chimney of the state bedchamber on the second floor still remains on one side of it is a recess about the size of a dressing-room with an arched window looking towards the east this is declared by tradition to have been mary's chamber but it is evidently the oriel or private oratory pertaining to her state chamber which of course was the room to which the chimney belonged at the time mary took refuge in the castle everything was in the same order as when the old duke of norfolk surrendered it into the hands of his ungrateful master henry the eighth when he found the seymours bent on the downfall of his house he requested that the king would be pleased to bestow his possessions on the royal children because as he said it was stately gear at the same time the experienced statesman calculated shrewdly on its restoration a result that he actually lived to see framlingham appears to have been retained in the hands of edward the sixth but its governor thomas shemming evidently adhered to the ancient ritual and was consequently willing to surrender it to mary as queen a catholic priest named sir roland still officiated in the private chapel where a lamp perpetually burned the chapel was hung with tapestry representing the life of christ the size of the gable of the chapel and the form of its crockets may be plainly traced on the wall likewise a few small windows belonging to a gallery leading from the state chamber occupied by mary to the chapel the tapestry which hung the state apartments was transferred from framlingham to audley end by lord howard of walden and even in the succeeding century was so good and rich that william the third sent it to one of his palaces in holland where it is perhaps at this day the local traditions of suffolk affirm that queen mary came to framlingham on the tenth or eleventh of july and remained there till the thirty-first many circumstances prove their correctness none of her kenning hall dispatches and state papers are dated later than the ninth of july and as she was certainly proclaimed queen at norwich on the twelfth of the same month she naturally retreated to a place of security before that hazardous step was taken from the steeple of the church of framlingham the seaport of aldborough may be seen the castle stands at a much greater elevation and its highest watch-tower when entire commanded a view of the german ocean and all that passed near the coast mary meant to retreat in case of danger by the nearest road to the sea and to this day a lane about a mile and a half from the castle leading to the coast is called bloody queen mary's lane because it is reported she used to walk there that is like a prudent general she surveyed the roads by which retreat was to be made if needed the close and winding lanes which led through the forest surrounding framlingham castle were rendered impassable by trees felled and thrown across them the crisis of extreme danger occurred about five days after mary had retired to framlingham when six ships of war were seen to sail past the suffolk coast making for yarmouth roads now there were stout hearts and strong hands at framlingham but no other artillery or instruments of war than those carried by the cavaliers at their belts or saddle bows while the infantry had to depend on push of pike or blow of axe or brown bill the ships were dispatched by the privy council to carry cannon and warlike stores for the siege of mary's castle and likewise to intercept her if she attempted to retreat to the emperor's dominions sir henry jerningham was at yarmouth 
when the fleet under pretense of stress of weather came close to the harbor and he boldly went out in a boat to hail them upon which says speed these sea soldiers demanded what he wanted your captains replied the intrepid knight who are rebels to our lawful queen mary if they are replied the men of war we will throw them into the sea for we are her true subjects upon which the captains surrendered themselves and sir henry and the yarmouth burgesses took possession of the ships another favorable incident to mary's cause occurred simultaneously with the surrender of the fleet she had among her numerous letters written on the ninth of july before she left kenning hall sent one claiming the allegiance of sir edward hastings who had been commissioned by the adverse party to raise four thousand men for queen jane in middlesex and buckinghamshire sir edward was brother to the earl of huntingdon who was closely allied by a marriage or a contract with a daughter of northumberland but they were at the same time great nephews to cardinal pole being grandsons to the murdered lord montague whose heiress had married the late earl of huntingdon when sir edward hastings had raised a large force in the name of jane he proclaimed mary as his rightful queen and thus placed at her disposal a great body of militia close to london the defection of the fleet at yarmouth could scarcely have reached lady jane grey's privy council when this revolt so near to them struck terror through their hearts the first indication of goodwill the metropolis showed towards mary's right of succession was on the morning of the sixteenth of july when a placard was found posted at queen hythe church importing that she had been proclaimed queen of england and ireland in every town and city therein except london the same day the earl of sussex and the earl of bath seceded from the council they took their way to framlingham at the head of their armed vassals the queen had directly on her arrival formed a privy council at framlingham castle who were soon in active correspondence with the municipal authorities at harwich thetford norwich and ipswich so early as july sixteenth mr smith the clerk of the framlingham council reported a dispatch from mr brand that sir edward hastings and ten thousand of the militia of oxford bucks berkshire and middlesex had mustered on july fifteenth at drayton lord paget's seat with intention of marching to seize the palace of westminster and all it contained in behalf of the queen's right and title the mayor and corporation of thetford begged for aid from the queen's headquarters at framlingham but were answered by mary's orders that the pride of the enemy they would see in short time abated therefore they of thetford will be out of all doubt of their conceived fear the same day all the ships in the harbour of harwich declared for the queen having deposed sir richard broke and other captains from their command the queen commanded stores of ammunition to be instantly forwarded to framlingham from these ships and commissioned one of the captains john basing to resume the command of his vessel the day after john hughes the comptroller of the customs at yarmouth and john grease captain of a ship of war called the greyhound submitted themselves to the queen's mercy and were sworn in her service she ordered all the ordnance and shot from the greyhound to be brought to framlingham that could be possibly spared from their own defence the same day she sent orders for certain chests containing church plate and money at norwich to be opened in presence of the mayor and the treasure convoyed to her at framlingham by austin steward at whose house the chests had remained 
Likewise, she demanded a number of bakers to be sent from Norwich, and three hundred quarters of malt were brewed at Orford. Three brass pieces of ordnance, which were at Aldborough, ready mounted, the queen required to be sent from thence. A proclamation of defiance to Northumberland was issued forth, July 18th, from Framlingham Castle, offering one thousand pounds in land to any noble, five hundred pounds to any gentleman, and one hundred pounds to any yeoman, who brought him in prisoner to the queen. Five hundred men were appointed to guard the queen within the walls of the fortress, and no persons, whether coming to submit themselves or otherwise, were permitted to approach her without order from the council. She commanded all prisoners in the jails of Suffolk and Norfolk to be freed, a very doubtful policy in an unsettled time. It is, however, pretty certain that they had been crowded with persons who had committed no other crime than expressing themselves favorable to her title, while Edward the Sixth was declining. She had the temerity to order, as early as the 22nd of July, Sir Edward Hastings to dismiss his militia and come to her, with Lord Windsor. She seems to have had from the first an extraordinary dislike to standing armies, Perhaps they did not suit her rigid notions of state economy. Northumberland, though at the head of an army at Cambridge, had employed himself rather in polemic than military warfare. He had requested Dr. Edwin Sandys, the vice-chancellor of the university and a very zealous Protestant, to preach a sermon against Mary's title and her religion. Whilst the sermon was proceeding, a yeoman of the guard held up to public scorn, a Catholic missal and a grail, which had been captured the preceding night at Mr. Huddleston's house, where Mary had slept and heard mass, during her late rapid journey into Suffolk. The next day, the news arrived of the revolution in London, and Northumberland, struck with terror, made a clumsy attempt to imitate his colleagues by personally proclaiming Queen Mary in Cambridge Marketplace, tossing up his cap while the tears ran down his cheeks. Dr. Sandys, who stood by him, was a man of indomitable courage, mental and physical. He could scarcely conceal his scorn when the Duke said to him, That Queen Mary was a merciful woman, and that, doubtless, all would receive the benefit of her general pardon. Dr. Sandys bade him not flatter himself, for if the Queen were ever so inclined to pardon, those who ruled her would destroy him, whoever else were spared then occurred a disgusting scene of treachery sir john gates one of northumberland's most guilty agents arrested his master when he was personally helpless with his boots half on and half off this is a true specimen of the dishonorable spirit of the era in a few hours northumberland was again set at liberty at last all this anarchy was settled by the entry into cambridge of the earl of arundel with a body of the queen's troops he arrested Northumberland, Gates, and Dr. Sandys, and sent them to the tower. Several of Northumberland's party, after the arrest of their chief, hastened on to Framlingham, in order to excuse themselves to Queen Mary, under the plea that they were but obeying the orders of the Privy Council. Among these visitors were the Marquess of Northampton and Lord Robert Dudley. Bishop Ridley likewise presented himself at Framlingham, but was evilly received, and sent back. Fox declares, on a halting horse. He was really arrested, and with Northampton, sent to the tower, from the Queen's camp, on the 26th of July, on account of a sermon he had recently preached against her title at St. Paul's Cross. 
the camp broke up at framlingham the last day of july when queen mary commenced her triumphant march to the metropolis from whence her sister elizabeth set out the same day to meet her at the head of a numerous cavalcade of nobility and gentry amounting to a thousand persons among these were in all probability the privy council who it appears met their sovereign at ingatestone the queen's approach to her capital was gradual and in a manner of a peaceful royal progress receiving the homage of her faithful or penitent subjects at her various resting places on the road she arrived the first day at ipswich where she gave audience to cecil who had been dispatched by the council with tidings after the departure of arundel and paget here he made such fluent excuses for all his turnings and tricks and what he called pardonable lies that the queen told his sister-in-law mrs bacon that she really believed he was a very honest man it is worthy of notice that mrs bacon who was a learned protestant lady belonged to the queen's bedchamber then and afterwards and had access to her in private conversation the queen however still required further explanation of some of cecil's double dealings in the late usurpation she moved next day to her favorite seat of newhall where cecil presented her with a list of excuses lately given entire to the world which will remain an example of the shamelessness of a climbing statesman to all futurity the queen next proceeded to the seat of sir william petrie at ingatestone where the council who had lately defied and denied her were presented to her for the purpose of kissing her hand cecil kissed the royal hand before any other of the councilmen so far had his apology satisfied the queen through the intercession of mrs bacon but his favor went no further and notwithstanding his sedulous compliances with catholicism mary never would listen to his ardent aspirations for office the queen arrived at her seat at wainstead on the second of august where she disbanded her army excepting a body of horse a bold measure considering all that had recently been transacted in the metropolis nevertheless it was only a proper observance of the ancient laws and privileges of london lord arundel had previously arrived at the tower on the twenty second of july with northumberland and the other prisoners brought from cambridge he received orders to arrest the duke of suffolk and his unhappy daughter lady jane grey and lodge them in prison rooms in the tower frances duchess of suffolk directly her husband was taken from her hastened to meet the queen and throwing herself at her feet she lifted up her voice in piteous lamentation she told the queen that suffolk was very ill and would die if shut up in the tower mary was softened by her plaints and granted liberation of her husband a wonderful instance of mercy bishop godwin observes thus unharmed in body or estate suffolk paid the penalty of but three days imprisonment for his conspiracy with northumberland no pleadings are recorded of the duchess frances for her hapless daughter lady jane grey who might have been liberated on her parole with far less danger than her wrong-headed father it was notorious that the duchess frances was a very active agent in the evanescent regality of her daughter jane she had urged her unfortunate marriage and had carried her train as queen she must nevertheless have fabricated some tale of coercion since she was always treated with great distinction by her cousin queen mary in the worst of times 
the ladies who had accompanied the princess elizabeth from london were introduced formally to queen mary at wainstead who kissed every one of them such is the tradition in a family whose ancestress attended that antique royal drawing-room the queen was on the third of august escorted from wainstead by great numbers of nobles and ladies who came to grace her entrance into her capital a foreigner who was an eye-witness thus describes her appearance on this triumphant occasion then came the ladies married and single in the midst of whom rode dame mary queen of england mounted on a small white ambling nag the housings of which were fringed with gold the queen was dressed in violet velvet she seemed about forty years of age and was rather fresh colored the old city portal of aldgate at which the queen made her entrance into the metropolis was hung with gay streamers from top to bottom over the gateway was a stage with seats on which were placed the charity children of the spittal singing sweet choruses of welcome to the victorious queen the street of leadenhall and all down to the tower through the minorities were clean swept and spread with gravel and was lined with all the crafts of london in their proper dresses holding banners and streamers the lord mayor with the mace was ready to welcome her and the earl of arundel with the sword of state a thousand gentlemen in velvet coats and richly embroidered cloaks preceded queen mary next the queen rode her sister elizabeth then the duchess of norfolk and the marchioness of exeter followed and other noble dames according to their connection with the crown and precedence the aldermen brought up the rear and the city guard with bows and javelins the guard which accompanied mary being three thousand horsemen in uniforms of green and white red and white and blue and white were dismissed by the queen with thanks and all departed before she passed the city gate mary acted according to the intrepidity of her character entrusting her person wholly to the care of the civic guard thus implicitly relying on the fidelity of a city where a rival had reigned but a few hours before she bent her way direct to the tower then under the care of sir thomas cheney warden of the cinque ports here she meant to sojourn according to the ancient custom of her predecessors till the funeral of the late sovereign when mary entered the precincts of the tower a touching sight presented itself to her kneeling on the green before st peter's church were the state prisoners male and female catholic and protestant who had been detained lawlessly in the fortress during the reigns of henry the eighth and edward the sixth there was edward courtney the heir to the earl of devonshire now in the pride of manly beauty who had grown up a prisoner from his tenth year without education there was another early friend of the queen the wretched duchess of somerset there was the aged duke of norfolk still under sentence of death there were the deprived bishops of durham and winchester the mild cuthbert tunstall and the haughty stephen gardiner which last addressed a congratulation and supplication to the queen in the name of all mary burst into tears as she recognized them and extending her hands to them she exclaimed ye are my prisoners she raised them one by one kissed them and gave them all their liberty the bishops were instantly restored to their sees gardiner was sworn into the queen's privy council according to the evidence of its journal so early as the fifth of august the duke of norfolk and earl of devonshire were immediately restored to their rank and estates 
as the duke had never been attained he took his place with so little delay that he sat as high steward at the trial of the duke of northumberland gertrude marchioness of exeter mother of courtenay was made lady of the bedchamber with so high a degree of favour that she shared the bed of her royal kinswoman the duchess of somerset was liberated and comforted by the preferment of her family her son an infant minor being restored to his rights and her daughters lady jane lady margaret and lady mary seymour which last was one of the queen's numerous godchildren were appointed maids of honour they were considered the most learned and accomplished ladies in europe excepting the queen herself and her hapless rival in sovereignty lady jane grey the heirs of the three unfortunate gentlemen who had suffered with the protector somerset were reinstated in their property and as somerset's adherents were zealous protestants these actions of mary which indubitably sprang from her own free will being at this juncture uncontrolled by counsel or husband ought to be appreciated by those who are willing to test her character by facts the queen remained in privacy sojourning at the royal apartments of the tower till after the funeral of her brother which was performed with great magnificence many historical controversies exist regarding the religious rites of that funeral but it appears that cramner archbishop of canterbury performed the ceremony for the lamented edward at westminster abbey according to the ritual of the church of england at the same time the queen and her ladies assisted at a solemn dirge and requiem for the repose of his soul in her private chapel in the tower this arrangement in which each party showed their respect for the memory of the deceased according to their different modes of belief was far too rational a method to suit the furious spirits of that dreadful era and the religious war recommenced in the tower chapel a chaplain of the court one walker approached with a censer to sense the queen when dr weston thrust him on one side exclaiming shamest thou not to do this office being a priest having a wife i tell thee the queen will not be sensed by such as thou the queen directly she arrived in london published a pacific manifesto exhorting each party to refrain from reviling by the epithets of idolater and heretic two proclamations of the kind had been published within a short time the first promised liberty of conscience unconditionally in the last a clause was introduced which declared religion was to be settled by common consent meaning an act of parliament mr dobbs presented a petition from the reformers of ipswich claiming protection for their religion on the faith of the queen's first proclamation but mr dobbs was set in the pillory for his pains a strange way of answering a petitioner that and several other deeds of the kind emanated from the violent zeal of the privy council which governed in london in the queen's name the most nefarious of these actions was the imprisonment of judge hales which brought great obloquy on mary though all she had to do with it was righting the wrong when it became known to her judge hales had positively refused to have any concern in the disinheriting of mary he had boldly declared to northumberland and his faction that it was against english law with equal conscientiousness he had at the assizes held at the usual time in the last days of july given a charge from the bench to the people of kent advising them to observe the laws made in king edward's time which were certainly in force while unrepealed for thus doing his duty he was committed to the fleet prison by the officious privy council 
hales despairing that justice would ever again visit his country attempted his own life but ineffectually the queen's attention was drawn to hale's unmerited sufferings and she sent for him to the palace spoke many words of comfort to him and ordered him to be set at liberty honorably he seemed composed and happy but his mind had received an irremediable wound for he destroyed himself soon after the violent party spirit that distinguished this council of interregnum which governed the metropolis from mary's proclamation to her arrival at the tower is extremely well portrayed by mr edward underhill an accomplished worcestershire gentleman who for his zeal in the calvinist religion was called the hot gospeller he belonged to the band of gentlemen pensioners he had penned a satirical ballad against papists and for this squib was summoned before the council in authority whilst the queen was in suffolk after much browbeating edward underhill was committed to newgate he was an elegant lutenist and was advised by his friends to play much on the lute while in prison and eschewed polemics he probably took this advice and being withal a man of family had no difficulty in obtaining access to the ear of the queen since he was released from newgate a few days after her arrival in london and finally she restored him not only to his place in the band of gentlemen pensioners but as he notices with great satisfaction to his salary without deduction of the time of his arrest mary showed some judgment in acting thus for this brave man though he scorned to disavow his principles was ever in time of danger an intrepid defender of her person several instances are to be found of the queen's interference to save persons from the cruelty of her privy council those who were of rank or consequence sufficient to find access to her were tolerably sure of her protection this peculiarity gave a tone to her reign which renders its character singular to english history for examples of political vengeance were made chiefly on persons whose station seemed too lowly for objects of state punishment because being poor and obscure they were not able to carry their complaints to the foot of the throne thus the council sent orders to the town of bedford for the punishment of a woman after due examination of her qualities by the cucking stool she having been arrested for railing and speaking unseemly words of the queen's majesty these awards of personal punishment without regular trial emanated from a certain junta of the privy council whose business it was to sit in the star chamber in westminster palace and apportion the inflictions which seemed good in their eyes as vengeance on personal affronts offered to the reigning monarch much of the extortions of the reign of henry the seventh and the bloodshed of that of henry the eighth may be attributed to the operations of this illegal and inquisitorial tribunal but when it condescended to doom an old scold of a distant provincial town to the cucking stool it might have been thought that derision would have disarmed its terrors for ever such would have been the case had the periodical press of the present day been in operation at the time in the latter part of mary's reign when she was utterly incapacitated by mortal sufferings from interference with their proceedings her cruel ministers inflicted more tragic punishments on an old woman who railed against the queen's majesty End of section 18.